from the children's story, we understand that we all have experienced some kind of loss. And at some point or another, we, we attempt to recover what was lost. And we might have different strategies that, you know, as to uh, how to do that, depending on, you know, whether it's a person or a thing, how valuable that thing is to us. We might be anxious to recover it, or we might be hesitant, be like, oh, uh, you know, it will eventually show up. But we don't get that from the heart of Christ as it relates to the scriptures. So as I speak on the topic, the mission, I pray that um, we will have the heart of Christ as it relates to recovering that which was lost. Amen? Let us pray. My God and my Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, and I ask that as I stand and speak before your people, Father, that it will be you that speaks not I. I'm just a vessel, Father. Use me for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The mission. Our scripture text, or scripture reference, found in Luke 15, highlights three parables. The story is the parable of the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the one that we know most very well is the prodigal son. And we see from each, the mission is very, very simple, very straightforward. Someone or something was lost was recovered and there was rejoicing. And so I had to you know plug into I guess the the mind of the the original speaker, Brother Gary, and figure out where are you going with this idea of the mission? Well I can't necessarily use Gary's info here. I just have to use what God gave me. And I, I promised him that I'm not going to change the title, not going to change the scripture. I just simply believe that God has a message still from this title, The Mission. Because as I prayed and said, Lord, I, I, need, I need something. I need a word for your people as it relates to the mission and not long after, through the Holy Spirit, just ideas and things came. And um, I had to kind of get a, a good understanding of what a mission really is. And so, just want to share something briefly with you. Um, over the last few weeks, uh, mostly of the latter part of last month and this month, I have been praying and saying, Lord, I, um, you know, I, I, need, I need your help. I need to, to find something 
to do besides, you know, my regular nine to five, you know, which seems at times so monotonous and mundane, right? You know, you have that dreaded Monday fever. Anyone can testify that when Monday comes, it seems like, you know, you're just going through a whole lot of stuff and you'd be like, I don't want to go to work today. If I could call in sick, I'll call in sick. Is this just me? <laughs> no, okay, I didn't think so. But, you know, I, I said, Lord, I, I, I need something that I can, I can do. I would like to do something besides this nine to five that, you know, will, will kind of set me free a little bit. You know, and and I've I've looked at other things, um, but they're not mine personally. They're other people's ideas, you know. But I wanted something personally mine, and so the more I prayed, the more thoughts and ideas came to mind. And one of those was this concept of the power of three, the power of three. There's something about three, whether it's um, a, a triangle per se, that when all operates equally, it's, it's even and it's unbroken. Well, this power of three became a concept I used in a, in, in a lot of things. And one of them, uh, I thought about you know um, business. I thought about communication. I, I thought about you know, encouraging people. But it started, I started encouraging myself. And so as I looked at this, the scripture here, the power of three came to mind. And I found that in a mission, there are three things. Now, for those of you in the military, you know, kill me later, okay? <laughs> but I just want to share, because I know there, there's so much more that goes into a mission besides three things. But there's three important things that I find absolutely happens. There's an objective, there's a strategy, and finally there's the deployment so that you can effectively do those two other things. Well, I find this here happening in this, in this scripture, and, and it happens in all three parables. There's an objective as it pertains to the sheep, the coin, the prodigal son. There's a strategy to go out to recover them. And then there's the deployment, the way that it happens. right? And I, and I want to share that with you today. Amen? So let's look at just, just our scripture text. Luke 15. But I'm not just going to read the, first, the only the, the fourth verse. I'm going to read from verse 3. It says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Notice what it says here. He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which 
was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Hmm. There is joy in heaven over the one who repents versus over the ones who don't. Hmm. Okay? And we see that repeated, right? With the coin. The lady, she has ten, she loses one. But the scripture, notice what it says here in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? One, one translation actually says, see, she searches diligently until she finds it. So, so in other words, she's not satisfied with just a casual sweep. It's like moving furniture, if you know what I mean, to find that lost coin. And she finds it. And she does the same thing. She calls to her friends. One translation says she calls to her women friends. You know, why it does that? Is it particularly say women friends? I don't know. Okay, I guess there's something about women and when it comes to finding something that they all go crazy. Ah! You know, but the point is they all rejoice together over what was lost. But interestingly, when it came to the prodigal, the father is not the one that goes out and finds the son. But the son, having come to himself, realizes that he's lost, makes his way back home. But yet, the same, the father, it, it seemed like he was anxiously waiting for when his son comes home. Because it says that the father sees him afar off, runs and embraces him. Now that doesn't sound like somebody who is you know, has been, you know, just sitting by, just waiting for nothing to happen. No, he's been like probably going this way and this way because he's thinking, oh, that boy done did it again. But I'm sure he'll come to his senses, you know. And then when it finally happens, because he probably gone through the door and, and just peering out and seeing if he's coming. But when he finally does, he runs Embraces him. And we know from the scripture the, the, the son offers an apology, but is it not, it's, it's as if the father didn't even hear the apology. Okay? So, the mission here, the objective throughout all of these, and it's consistent with all three, is to seek to save that which is lost. Now, another thing I want you all to observe here is that the parable happens or is set in a community-type environment. The sheep is all part of one fold. The ten coins belong to one person in one house. The prodigal 
has a father, brother. They're of one house. They're, they're within the family. This is not a parable about people outside. So these parables are for us here in the church. And this is important because we are family. We are a community. We believe the same thing, or we ought to. We mind the same thing, at least we ought to. We have the same objective, right? We all want to go to heaven. We want to see Jesus again, right? So, so, so this is for us. This is not a parable for people outside of the fold or outside of the community of faith. But something happens. For some reason, the sheep wanders away. For some reason, the coin somehow gets lost. For some reason, the prodigal leaves home. I want you all to think about those things. So, what would cause someone to wonder? Well, as for a sheep, what would cause a sheep to wonder? And I don't want you to think about it just as it relates to a sheep, but just think of it as it relates to oneself. What will cause someone who has grown up in the church, been told about the Lord, right? And eventually when they feel that they reach a certain time, or even before they reach a certain time, they leave. What would cause them to wonder? The answers are here. Perhaps, perhaps as it relates to the sheep, there's greener pasture somewhere. Better opportunity. Better water. The grass always seems to be greener on the other side. Well, we saw in in the book of Genesis, as it relates to Genesis 13, 5 through 11, we see the story of Lot. We saw what happens there. Lot, thinking that things were greener and lusher and better in Sodom, left that community with Abraham, and we see what happened. He practically almost lost his life as a result of it. So, there's the lie that, that tells us that the grass is greener on the other side, but no, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Now, can it be? Sure it can. But it's not always greener on the other side. Because when you leave the safety of the fold, when you leave the safety of community, when you leave the safety of family, you expose yourself to a lot of dangers and troubles that you are kept safe from. And clearly we see that example as it relates to Lot and Sodom. Perhaps, as, it's, as far as the family, there is some jealousy, some sibling rivalry. One is preferred over the other. One parent seems to love another more and shows it. We see that happen with Joseph. 
Hmm? The dreamer is given a coat of many colors. The father, the father, he doesn't even hide it. And so what happens? His brothers end up hating him. Sells him into slavery. Mm-hmm. So, so jealousy and envy can cause us to sell out on each other. Something to be careful about. Or, as Jesus would say, you know, those of your household may be your own enemy. When that ought to be the safe place, right? Yeah? Okay. But I want us to, to look at a few scriptures that show us the mission-mindedness of Christ. Okay? The mission-mindedness of Christ. And because Christ has said, you know, I'm a lot of things. I come to do a lot of things. And just through some scriptures, I want to share with you what a few of those are. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10.10. Because he said, the thief cometh to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I am come, he said. I am come that they might have life. Have it more abundantly. He says, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost, according to Luke 19, 9 and 10. When, his, when he first started his mission, he told, he, and, he, and we had the, the story where this Phoenician woman came and said, Lord, Lord, save me. My daughter has fallen ill, and I know you can help. He tells her, I am come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yes, Israel may have been his focus, but it didn't stop him from ministering to those outside of Israel. Amen? So even if, even while we are you know, ministering and, and helping each other, we ought not to forget about those outside of our community of faith. We should have that same mindset. Yeah, we care about each other. We want to see each other do well, but we ought not to forget about those outside. It is what Christ would do and he has done. When he came to the woman that was caught in adultery, after it, it was all was done, and and Christ having heard the accusers, he you know we, he stoops down, he writes in the sand. When he looks up, and he asks the woman, "Woman, where are your accusers?" And she, looking around herself, doesn't see any. She said, "There aren't any." Well, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is, an important, this is an important part right here because a lot of times when, when someone wrongs us, we like to remind them of why they did it, don't we? We like to let them know that, oh, you hurt me, Okay? And you deserve whatever you get. But that is not the mind of Christ. 
There's no condemnation here. It's about reconciliation. It's about healing that broken relationship between us. So neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Or or in other words, go and, and don't practice this thing anymore. So that way... In our relationship, I don't, I don't even have to worry about why that thing that happens. Now, of course, there's the challenge. Because Peter put the challenge to Christ and he said, you know, Lord, you know, what if my brother, you know, sins against me and how often should I forgive him? You know, is it seven times? Well, actually, he meant how many times in a day? Is it seven times? He said, no, nonsense. It's ideally what Christ was saying. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. I mean, can you imagine someone coming up to you in a day and just messing with you and you have to forgive them each time? I mean, how won't that weary you after even the first time? <laughs> Much less the 70th, if there is such a time. But I, I want us to understand how inexhaustible is the mercy of God. And we that represent him ought to have that same type of mercy. It's inexhaustible. Okay? But there's a principle here. Because we are told exactly how to deal with when one of our brothers offended us. It's in Matthew. I believe it's in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Let's go there. (laughs) Matthew 18, verse 15. It says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Hmm. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17, And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. I mean, goodness gracious, would the tax collectors hate it that much? I mean, I believe we we somehow have this, I don't know if it's me, but we somehow have this innate hatred or disdain for anything having to deal with taxes. Right? So it, 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 to me, it's just fitting that this, this, this particular reference will be used here. Let that person be to you as a heathen and tax collector, as if you want nothing absolutely to do with that person. But notice the progression here. If that person has wronged you, go to them by yourself, one-on-one. Start there first. Then, if they don't hear you, take somebody else. But no, oftentimes, if somebody wrongs us, boom, we're on the phone. You know what such and such did to me? 
Mm. Not the example to follow. Right? Amen? But again, notice the mind, the, 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 the mission-mindedness of Christ here. It's all about reconciliation. But let's look at the strategy, and I'll wrap up in a few minutes. So the strategy, the, the shepherd goes out. He looks for that lost sheep. And when he has found that lost sheep, or has found that lost sheep, it says he puts it on his shoulder. He carries it. It's not like he finds the sheep, then returning, he lets the sheep walk behind him, or even leads the sheep. No, it says he puts the sheep on his shoulder. In other words, whatever drawed the sheep away, he's not taking any chances for there to be a second opportunity for the sheep to be lost. He is personally invested in returning the sheep back to safety. We, as a community of faith and believers, ought to be personally invested in the well-being and welfare of each other. It has to be from this personal place. We can't leave it necessarily to the pastor, the elders. No, no, no. We, like the shepherd, have to be personally invested, one-on-one. Okay? That's the, that's the mindset here. Notice what the woman does. She sweeps carefully to find the lost coin. As I mentioned, one, one translation said she did it diligently. Like I said, it, it's like she went through the house and just moved furniture this way, that way, until she finds it. She would not give up. We can't give up when we see someone from our community of faith going astray, much less have gone astray. We are not to give up on them. But there has to be that desire to want to bring them back in this community. Yeah, they have their reasons for leaving, but but that's besides the point. The point is, it hurts me, it hurts you, that they are not here with us. The prodigal. Again, we didn't see the father going out. But the son came back anyways. There may be times when we didn't go and search out anyone that was here before. But something brought them back. I know we can testify that some of us, or many of us, or just about all of us, have praying mothers and fathers, grandmothers and aunts and great-grandmothers. And it's their prayers that have brought about some miracles in our lives. Well, I could imagine the father, not only in his anxiety, is pacing the floor, wondering about his son, but I'm sure he had prayed too. And the prayer was answered, and so his son comes back home. And like the father, who runs out, reaches his son, and embraces him, he doesn't even hear his apology. Or he hears it, but he pays it no mind. Even so, 
when someone who has left our community of faith and has returned, we run to embrace them. I'm so glad you came back. I'm so glad you're here. And no, or where have you been? Or what happened to you? That's probably what drew them away the first time. <laughs> Amen? Am I right? No, but rather, we take the approach of the Father. We embrace them. If that means throwing a party, yeah, let's throw a party. Okay? But, but show them how much we love them and, and we miss them. Because what did the Father say? He says, all that I have is yours. You were lost, but now you're found. It was never the intent that you were to be gone or separated from me. Right? So, so that's our mindset to those who have left but have returned. I'm so glad you're back. You should have never left in the first place. We love you. So let's get you back in. I know, I know there are offices to be filled, but let's get you back in service and working. Right? Okay? Because no, the son said, look, I, make me a servant. But the father said, no, no, nonsense. You're not a servant. You're a son. So let me put you right back into the place where you were, a son. The mission-mindedness of Christ. To return us back to where we were before. Not what we was. <laughs> Amen. Deployment. It's all about being reconciled. There are things that have happened that have broken the relationship, that have broken the bond of trust, that have caused animosity, that have caused us to be separated. But we're told... Be ye reconciled. Let's look at Second Corinthians five, seventeen to nineteen, and I'll wrap up with that text. Second Corinthians five, verse seventeen. He says, and if you have it, say amen. Okay, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the world, the word of reconciliation. But I want us to look at verse 20. Now then, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. As though we're pleading through, as though God was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be ye reconciled to God. So, here it is. We have the same mission that Christ had. Reconciliation. Whatever was lost to be found. Whatever was broken to be mended. 
whatever was cause animosity to be forgiven and, and come back into good relation again. Whatever that has caused us to, you know, to you know, have harm one to another, you to, to bury it and to be reconciled. Again, notice, again, these scriptures, they are for the body. Because I tell you, Anyone coming in, if they see division, schism, that is an affront to the church. It will taint our message. We can't say we love one another, but no love is being shown. So if we would be reconciled one to another, loving each other, encouraging each other, then, and demonstrating love toward each other, we can be the church of the last day that Christ is looking for. Notice, um, again, one of the the words that is used here, uh, and I'm going to wrap up with this last one. What, What the word used here is ambassadors. And this... I was trying to understand what an ambassador is, and I found that an ambassador is, is an official that is sent on the behalf of another. Ambassadors, they don't represent themselves. They don't have their own agenda. Okay? And whenever they come, they come in the name or of that person who sent them on, on their behalf. They have their authority too. So it's as if that very person is there represented. Well, we are ambassadors. With the same, the same concept holds for us. We represent the kingdom of God. We speak on the behalf of God because he speaks through us. And so, the message of reconciliation, while in this context it applies to those outside, but it also applies to us inside. Let us be reconciled to one another, and then we can reconcile the world to Christ. Amen? I want to say this. The pastor talked last week or some time ago about this generation of the church that seems to be somehow lost. That 14 to 40 group. And it should hurt us that we are seeing such a large population of that generation missing from our body. We, as a church or a community of believers, cannot, I repeat, we cannot stand or sit idly as that generation gets lost. We must make it our personal mission to see them stay in this community. Whether we become mentors or, or um, brothers keepers or you know, whether we volunteer, whatever it is we must do, we must see to it that that generation no longer it's lost because they, they, they're exposed to a lot of things out there. Be it abuse, 
neglect, you know, peer pressure, violence. We don't want to see that happening to our young people anymore. So let us take up that mantle. Let us bind together and work towards reconciling to each other, reconciling the world back to Christ and save our generation of young people. Amen? Thank you.